This is the one and only T Quest, and you are tuned into the T Quest Show. Relatable, informative, yet entertaining. <laughs> Some people ask me, how come you don't never ask me to be on your show? I'm like, well, to be honest, there's two ways of being on my show. One, you come to me. <laughs> And you state your case and you get approved or denied, right? And that usually happens all the time. But then there's selective times when I actually seek out people. And it's very rare. You have to be someone that can truly impress me. And even though I'm so happy-go-lucky and so sweet, everyone doesn't impress me. But this man has definitely impressed me. In more than more ways than one, not just from his comedy, from his DJing, but what grabbed my attention more than in, anything is his writing ability. Him being an author has impressed me. He has captured my ear, my eyes, my heart, and he made me want to become an even better writer. And bringing me back to the times where we used to actually read books and enjoy them. Not because we had to in school, because we wanted to. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you, I guess I can truly say one of my favorite authors. <laughs> Daryl Bishop. <laughs> Hi. Hey, what's going on? You know, <laughs> hanging out. I can't help. I can't, I can't stop smiling. <laughs> you got me awesome, man. You got me out here blushing. I'm already like wearing a burgundy shirt. You got me looking. I'm blending in my shirt right now. So. Oh, my God. I can't help it. Like, you truly make me smile. You are, ugh. I mean, like, I meant what I said, you know? And we live in a society where... <laughs> Nobody's reading books anymore. What is it like? Kindles and ebooks, maybe. And um, if it's not that, it's probably like a blog. <laughs> or, or they got, or they got the um, those audio books, which mm -hmm. I, I, I don't like at all. I think it's kind of lazy. If you, you're gonna buy a book and pay someone to read it to you, you might as well go get a, you know go get a baby blanket and a pacifier and let them read you a bedtime story. But that's just me. Well, yeah, you know, um, with the audio books. As a soon-to-be author, I'm actually going to dabble into it. And not just because of the market. I think it's mainly because of my voice as well. But um, some people are just always on the go. And I've done a small study. And I've asked people who actually listen to audiobooks, why do they? And it was like, well, I'm always on the go was one of the reasons I've heard. Another one is they can comprehend and understand the book better by listening to someone say um saying it to them than versus mm -hmm. them actually reading it. Gotcha. So I guess gotcha. it truly depends on the individual. You know, and that's why I want to have every variety. So each customer or consumer will be happy. You know, for the ones who truly like the hardback and paperbacks, to the ones who enjoy an ebook or a Kindle, or the ones who like audio. You know. Yep. But um, it's crazy because I remember I was a nerd in school, but the one thing I didn't like was like homework assignments. <laughs> 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 
feel like we, I don't think anyone liked homework. I'm just saying, I'm just like, look, I'm busting my butt here in school, and you still want me to do extra at home? No. Like, <laughs> I don't want to. Like, <laughs> I couldn't grab it. I'm just trying to tell you, it would be to the point, like, I probably would have graduated a 4.0 if I actually believed in homework, right? <laughs> and um, I remember even reading assignments. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to read this book. Why? Because I have to read it at home. Home is not for your work. <laughs> School is for your work. So when they actually do these books, I mean, I didn't really want to, but then I had to. But I didn't really fall in love with reading books until it wasn't required, when it became optional. You know, because I yeah. wanted to, because I felt like it. I got you. And um, you know why I used to choose my books? Oh. I would go to the um, the bookstores. I will look at the cover, you know, and they said never judge a book by its cover. I look at the cover first, clearly, obviously. But then it's all about the synopsis. The synopsis is going to sell itself very true you know and um <laughs> it's kind of like with like djs right some of them have been asking me to don't judge but some of them have been asking me to um ghost write their descriptions on the mixes that they put up i feel you and I mean, um huh no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, because, you know, I'm a writer, and they're not really yeah. writers. So I get it, and it's all about describing the mix that you're about to listen to. And that would gravitate people to it. It's like a movie. You're either going to watch the trailer or you're going to read the synopsis. Like, hmm, I wonder. And that's funny because well, that's, that's how I learned about synopsis. Is actually when I used to work at the movie theater when I was younger. Yeah, well, that's how I write my books. I do, I do the synopsis before the book is even started. So I know in my mind where I want the book to go. And then I start, you know, I, I write a book from the middle books. They notice I just drop the reader directly in the middle of the, of the action. And it's literally to the point where you don't know where you're going until you get to the middle of the book. It's like, oh, okay, then you start following breadcrumbs. And it forces you to kind of go back and realize, oh, okay, he was mm -hmm. leading me down this path the entire time. But <laughs> as one of my um, dedicated readers said, I have a way of laying breadcrumbs out and then saying, okay, switch paths, we're going to go this way. So mm. when you think I'm taking you one direction, by the time you get to where the story needs to go, you're like, oh, this is just this is just a distraction while the main situation was going on elsewhere. So that's that's how I write my books. Wow. Well, maybe, I guess, um, I guess it does make sense. If I look at it from, like, a music artist's perspective, when I uh -huh. hear a beat, it tells me a story, after it tells me the story, that's when I write the story. Yeah. So I guess that's, you write the synopsis and then you actually write the story. Yeah, because for me, it's, like, I write, I write my books almost as if I'm imagining it's a full-fledged um, feature film. So mm -hmm. for me, the synopsis is the previews. So I want you to see the previews because it's going to grab your attention. And then once... I have your attention to previews, then I release the book. And nine times out of ten, I've released like the I've released a synopsis or a preview, and I'll give my readers like what I call flashes. So you'll get a flash of like a half of a chapter, mm -hmm. but it's a chapter that's going to bring you in, like the one I did for for Silver Lake. It's a it's a it's a it's a preview that's going to draw you in. Now you now you're going to want to know the story behind it. And by the time you get to it, now it's like oh. 
you see the bigger picture, and then you start tying in. Because even in the previews, I I give clues. You mm-hmm. just gotta know what, to, what you're looking for. Yeah. What I love about your writing, whether it's reading the whole entire book or just a piece of it, like you always have people on edge. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like I remember from the first um, teaser, I would say that you sent me, and I'm just like, wait, I know this ain't no basic story. He ain't no basic guy. <laughs> oh, oh, that was uh, I think that was New York in the cover. No, 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 no. It was before that one. It was the one at the cabin. Oh, um, yeah, that was the book I'm, I'm, I'm ghostwriting for a friend of mine. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, like I, I have a couple of authors that hit me up um, because they got a hold of my work and they like the fact that I write almost in like a soap opera cliffhanger style. Mm-hmm. So when they gave me an outline for a story, you know, I was when um, this particular author, he was, he's a, I've known this guy for like 15 years on this guy. He's a really good friend of mine. Yeah. Um, but when he approached me about it, you know, because he knows I write, so he's like, hey, I want your idea or something. So he relayed the idea to me over the phone while I was at work. And as he's telling me the story, my mind is going 100 miles per hour and basically crafting the outline. So I'm like, okay, fine, great. I got it for you. And he was like, are you serious? So I literally um, sent him the, the blast I sent you. I sent it to yeah. him. A couple hours later, and he was like, he was sold. He said, "Bro, we got." He said, "You got to." He said, "We got to get some paper." So he was hooked on it, and so you know, we've been working on that ever since. But yeah, well, I'm uh, not... Go the, ahead. Book, the book was. I'm sorry. The, the book was initially called "Hunting the Hunters," but that's that was the story outline I gave him, and uh, so it was a rough draft. But I sent it to you because I knew you would appreciate it, mm-hmm. and he read that, and it. I mean, he sent it. To, a couple of people read it as well. And I've literally gotten people sitting there going, when's, you know, when's this book coming out? Because it was like, it was so gritty and just, you know, I, I literally went in and I created this, ba- I created the background, I created the environment. I wanted you to feel mm. what the Christmas feeling. I wanted you to hear the sounds he was hearing. So the, the way I wrote it was, I crafted background, I crafted emotions, and I put you in, and I put you in, in the character's skin. So you're just feeling everything they're feeling. Absolutely. You definitely did. Because um, I'm the type of reader that I read as if I'm watching a movie. Because I guess it stems from me being a loner growing up and always yeah. using my imagination. So I'm always in my head. <laughs> so yeah. every time someone's talking to me about something, I'm visualizing it clear as day in my head. So when I'm reading a book in my head, I'm actually watching the movie. You know, and uh-huh. with your type of writing, it was definitely, <laughs> I needed my popcorn, I, <laughs> I need my raisinets, I needed my Slurpee, but I'm just like, oh my gosh. Even with the teaser, I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, wait, okay, so- what just happened? Like, no, where's the vest? <laughs> Okay, so then let's talk about the teaser that uh, that you commented on uh, that I just I just put out. The teaser was Silver Lake. What you know? What were your thoughts on that? Like, what what do you think about it? Okay, so it's Silver Lake. I felt kind of special because I remember a teaser from before, right? Yeah. But then I was thrown off because it was totally different. I'm like, wait, what? At first, it reminded me of those um those shows that have alternate endings. I guess they call it. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what just happened? Is this the same thing? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. 
Um, so I'm reading it and watching it in my head. And um, I'm just like, wait a minute. Don't go to the lake. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, when you're talking about the dog barking. It's okay for me to say that, right? Because it's out. Okay. So when you hear the dog barking, I'm just like, oh, it's always a dog. Not minding his business. What ha what do he see? What do he hear? But, you know, dogs have that sense. And I'm just like, oh, man, he's going to see something in the lake. <laughs> and then just like an average person, they're like, what's going on? Like, why are you barking? What are you, what are you looking at? Me? I'd be like, yo, let's go the opposite direction. I ain't going over there. I don't know what you see, what you hear, but we're going to go the opposite direction. That's just me. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Something's bad about to happen. And, of course, with the girl on the phone with her boyfriend, and he's trying to hint to her, like, yo, if you see something, mind your business. <laughs> Call the cops and get out of there. Because sometimes you want to be Superman and Superwoman, but also you kind of have to save yourself. So I guess it really depends on the situation. But I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh, what's about to happen? <laughs> call the cops, girl, call the cops. Like we're in like a Magic Johnson theater. Oh my God, get off the phone with your boyfriend and call the cops. If you see something, just call the cops. But in our minds, depending on the situation, it's like I may be able to save them. So me trying to call the cops when I can actually be saving them, that's what I'm going to do. So when she went, I knew, I'm like, oh, man, she's doomed. She's doomed. You know, but the part that freaks me out, as usual, because of your type of writing, <laughs> is when he had the girlfriend's phone, but he got a text from the phone, and then the shadow. <laughs> and it's it's crazy because I don't like scary stuff. But like I said, it's like watching a movie. So thanks to you, I felt like I was watching a scary movie. Even though I read it during the day, I was freaked out. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. That's how I know I'm doing a good like that's how I know I'm doing a good job because I let my sister read. Uh, I sent her a copy of From the Ashes, which is my first um step into the into the genre of ghost stories and horror stories and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And my sister admittedly does not like scary books. Like she'll pass it up. So I know what she said, I don't even want to go in my basement anymore because she read it. And a, a few of my friends that read that book said to me, you have a sick mind to write something this devious and this disturbing and it not bother you. And I'm like, I said, no. I'm like, I, I scare myself when I write these books because for me, if I can give myself get myself scared and I give myself goosebumps, then mm -hmm. I know that I'm on the right path because I have a very vivid imagination. So I know if I could craft that that story and get lost in it to the point where I'm like, okay, I gotta stop writing this and take a break. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't wanna go to, so I know that's how, that's how I write. I write as if I'm the reader, not just as if I'm writing and putting a story. Like I write so that I know if I was reading this book as someone who didn't know who the author was, I would be like, this guy's a sick bastard, and he needs to write another book. <laughs> <laughs>
That is but crazy. Glad, but I'm glad you liked it though, because I was always like, that's always my biggest thing is making sure that that when I put out previews, that the people who read my books, mm-hmm. um, they get lost in the world I create. That's that's for as an author, there's no better. Like I tell people, I don't write books to be to make. I mean, yeah, making money is nice, but I don't write it because I want to be rich. I write it because I have a talent and I think it's good to share it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was never actually go. I was never actually going to be a writer. Really? I had no. Yeah, I never wanted to be a writer. I my my sister pushed me to doing this because um, it was like I actually started writing professionally about nine ten years ago. Okay. And the reason I was doing this because I was in a major depression back then. Mm. Uh, I was, you know, I was really in. I was like I was self destructive, and I was just at the point where I was ready to give up. You know, I was thinking about committing suicide, mm. and it was just. I was at the point in my life where, you know, nothing made sense. I was tired of the, I was tired of the path I was on. And then my sister was like, you know, you really should think about writing. You know, I'm just like, no. And she said, and she would always say, you have a creative mind. You just, you just don't put it to use. Yeah. So one day she came to me and she had a friend that needed help, um, you know, writing, um, helping with help writing a, a paper for her for her college class. Mm-hmm. Now at the time I was just I was just doing my usual Facebook. Um, notes and you know I, I would like I would redo um, Christmas carols in a, in a comedic sense and so I always rewrite stuff and put my own spin and everyone was like oh you know you're an awesome comedic writer you should really think about doing a book professionally mm-hmm. and I never gave much chance because my thing was if my friends like it fine I'm not you know I always I mean you know me I, I think sometimes worst case scenarios I never I was like eh don't yes. read my stuff it's sad and third. <laughs> so I wrote you know and I wrote the paper for my sister's friend and she got an A on it and it was like you know, I was surprised. I was like, oh, shit, okay, I guess I'm that good. <laughs> and my sister was like, you really need to do it. And then so, I guess it, was, it got to a point where I think, you know, it was just when she presented it to me, I was really just that um, not interested. But my mom I know, had already had already uh, started writing books. Mm-hmm. So my mom was a writer. And every, and I looked at it as everyone in the family had this talent. You know, my mom was a writer. She could play the piano. My sisters could play the piano and do all this other stuff. My well, the sister's a poet, you know, she, she's amazing what she does. And I was, I was looked at myself as, I, here I am, and I don't have any talent. So I looked at it as, I didn't have shit to freaking contribute. Like, I would, you know, wow. so I never looked at what I, I never looked at what I had built inside of me mm-hmm. as a gift. It was just to me, like, okay, it's just something that I can do on a whim. So when I finally decided to start writing, I did it on Facebook. Like, I put out my stories on my Facebook first, and I put it as notes. And the first story I ever put out was called The Interview. And that one literally took off. And I mean, like, after the first chapter, the story basically um, is, I, I did the story in the outline. You know, there was shows like Dateline NBC in 2020? Yeah. Stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Story, story began where the author was sitting there saying it was a slow news week and he found out about a friend of his that, that had committed suicide and he went to his editorial manager saying, hey, I think I should do a story on this guy. It's been a slow news week. The manager was like, okay, great, go ahead and write it. And, you know, he brought together all these people in a room for a round table to discuss uh, the guy um, and, you know, the, and, and to ask these people, well, why would he commit suicide? Because this dude... Apparently, the backstory was this guy was a popular individual. He had everything going for him, and it was just weird for someone that was at the top or the height of his career, or whatever, to just suddenly end everything. Mm-hmm. But long story short, the story, you know, as the story progresses, progresses, 
it starts becoming a soap opera where all of a sudden all these little cat all these little secrets are coming out you know this person you know this person slept with his wife this other person slept with his you know with, with his uh, his wife was cheating with his best friend and he you know his best friend and his best friend and his wife got secretly married but what no one knew the whole time was it was a setup mm. the main the main character set everyone up and he gave certain individuals letters and he said don't open this until until after i'm gone so another part of the story was that you know even though he, even though he committed suicide the, his mother never never identified the body mm. The, the funeral was the funeral was planned by his by his best friend who was a female that he you know and every character in that in that first book was built and structured around people that I knew at the time wow. so it was like you know like I had two uh, friends of mine that were really uh, two male friends that were really good friends with I could I crafted characters after these people because for me it was I needed I needed an outline of an individual that I could say that I could put that that character into. So I created a character after my sister, a character after my mom, a character after my best friend, a character after my girlfriend at the time. So it was just all these people in my life that were major players in the outside world became major players in the book. Yeah. And then it's just like you start realizing, holy shit, this person, you know, his best friend, his best female friend hated his sister mm-hmm. and hated his sister's mother because um, the story was his mother stole her... Um, her child. His mother. His mother stole his best friend's child. What? Yeah. So I'm gonna give. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give away the ending because you, I mean, once you read the middle story, you'll see how twisted it is. But the whole thing was, um, you know what? Let me let me read it for you. And, okay. <laughs> no, I, I think I think you'll get a better understanding mm-hmm. of, of how it plays out. Yeah. Let me check out because it's like it's really one of those things where. When I read it, I didn't understand at first until it was like I really kind of got. I read it in a book form, and I just sat there and I'm just like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> you know, you get that "Oh my god" effect that that when, that effect that you got when you know that 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 shock and awe. Why is it not pulling up? One second. Mm-hmm. Okay, here it goes. I just gotta go to the last part of it. Okay, so. Um, okay, so the last chapter was called, uh, you would think, okay, the last chapter was called Nightfall, right? So I'm going to read, I'm going to, I'm going to try to breeze through most of it for you, but I'm going to, so this is how it started off. Okay, so silence can be deafening. There is no need for words. The end has come. Has it come too soon? This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not. This was not what we discussed. Have I made a deal with the devil that will ultimately lead me to my own demise? Can it be that we were all just pieces being moved into position? He has succeeded in, in the ultimate betrayal, and I was a willing participant. So now the story crashed back three weeks before the funeral. So now the events I'm going to read to you took place three weeks before the funeral of the main character, mm-hmm. whose, whose name is David. So. Um, I'm gonna like it was written in script form originally, so I'm just gonna kind of I'm gonna kind of give you like the, 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 a quick view of it, but you'll get you'll get the idea after a while. So it says three weeks after the funeral, and uh, the person who, who the person who's actually writing the book, which is the which is not me, it's actually the character that's writing this book. The one so that the char- died. 
No, no. The characters, the, guy, the, the main character is the one who set the whole interview up. Okay. Who got all everyone into the room. So he's, he's now revealing that he's part of the, of the plan. That's why he says, when I, was I just a piece being moved onto the board? Because he's like, I wasn't, a winning, I wasn't a winning participant in the scheme. And I had no idea what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So the guy comes, he says, are you sure you still want to go through with this? So David goes back, listen, you just need to stick to the program. So the other guy comes back, he says, listen, far be it for me to question your motives, but to be totally honest, my friend, I don't know why you couldn't just find someone else to do this, but why me? David looks back to him and says, you know why? And he looks at him and he goes, no, I don't. I mean, I still don't know what you hope to gain by doing all of this. And David takes a long pause for a second, puts his head down, and says, let me explain something to you. I never questioned your motives for anything you've done. You needed me, I was there. No questions asked. You hide your shit behind your job. And the guy was like, well, yeah, but this ain't about me now, is it? It's about you, your issues, and man, you got a lot of fucking problems. What confuses <laughs> me, and he continues, he says, what confuses me is, see, I get your issues with Tony and Andy. I'll even go as far as saying, I kind of understand the issue with Beth, probably Stephanie, but your family, your best friend, David takes, you know, David just sits back and says, look, don't treat me like I'm some person in one of your fucking articles. You agreed to help me. In fact, you owe me unless you want to renege on our agreement. And he looks back and says, are you threatening me? And David looks at him and says, David gets up, walks up to him and says, I think you already know the answer to that question. So now it transitions back into uh, like a narrative. Mm -hmm. he, he says he fell silent. In all the years I've known him, I knew when he stopped speaking, the wheels started turning. A man with a, a mind with a tactical mind that most generals would envy. Every discussion he has another piece being positioned on his chessboard. David is a type of individual that would lull you into a sense into believing you were leading him. When in all actuality, he laid the path for you to follow. I've seen him do this time and time again. A simple conversation with my friend can turn into a battle of wits. And if you knew him well enough, David never makes threats. For the most part, he never has to. Things have a way of happening exactly the way he planned. Mm -hmm. So that was him kind of explaining what happened prior to the, you know, to the, um, to the funeral. Now, this second part is where pretty much, uh, it's just like, I think it's, around the same time. Yeah. And he's sitting there now. He, he's just saying the element of surprise is in his favor. So this is now, it kind of like, it, it, goes, in, it goes from flashback to, to, to the initial scene. So the first part was a flashback. Now he's back in the room where David revealed himself to his friends that he was never dead. Mm. So now he's back in the room with all his friends and he says, and the guy comes to him, he says, the element of surprise is in his favor. Emerging from the shadows, he surveys the room. Patricia sitting in the corner, tears streaming down her face. Now, Patricia is his mother. Mm -hmm. Joan, who is his sister. Joan trying to find her balance, unable to breathe. Andy, who is one of his best friends. Holding, to holding on to Stephanie in an attempt to shield her from the initial gunshot. His eyes now fixed on the figure, fixed on the figure that has suddenly taken control of the room. Stephanie, who is his wife. Uh, fear grips her heart as she realizes that if this is real, her secret has been uncovered. Beth stands torn between rushing to her lover's aid and or running to her husband's side. Troy slowly losing consciousness. Now, Troy is his other best friend. Troy is the person who was sleeping with Beth. Beth was initially his fiance. Oh, gosh. 
So Troy slowly, um, Troy slowly losing consciousness as his fading vision is fixed on his best friend standing over him. Ella, mm-hmm. who is technically David's real, is David's confidant. Ella's the one who knows everything about David. Well, she thought she did. Yeah. Okay, so it says, Ella, searching for her thoughts, recalls her last night with David, searching for answers. Now, this is where it goes back into the flashback of transitioning to David's last night, supposedly before he committed suicide. So Ella and David are in the room, and Ella goes, Dave, look, I know I can't change your mind. I just want you to know something before. And Dave stops. He's like, listen, I'd, I'd rather not have this conversation, okay? Mm-hmm. Just... I just remember that he's like, just remember what you promised me. So for the first time in his life, David had doubt. Thoughts, thoughts racing through his mind, flashbacks of simpler times. I can do this. I got to do this, he told himself. Ella saw the look of despair on, her, on his face. Her heart cried out knowing that she was watching her best friend contemplating ending his own life. Mm-hmm. So, so between keeping a promise and losing a friend, Ella knew time was a luxury she no longer had. So Ella comes to him and goes, listen, I know what I promised you, but do I have to lose you to keep it? And, you know, he's sitting down in the bed and his head's in his hand. He says, I told you, I'm tired of this bullshit. Everyone's got a fucking agenda. Everyone thinks they're getting over on me. So she says, well, what do you think you're going to solve? She says to him, what do you think you're going to solve this way? And he looks up at her and he goes, I'm fed up, Elle. Mm-hmm. You made me a promise. He's like, I made you a prom. You made a promise to me, and I need you to follow through on this. Just remember who you have to call, right? And she said, Yeah, but why don't you want Pat to handle the identification of the funeral arrangements? I mean, she's. How am I going to convince her to let me handle everything? Melissa goes, I'm sure you could find a way. So Ella goes back to him. Look, it's going to be hard to convince her that the funeral has to be closed casket. But if but if it's what you want, then he looks at her and says, That's exactly what I want. So Ella says, I can't be here for this. How long do you think? And he goes, I don't know, Elle. None of I did a test run. If you want to leave, then I'll understand. It's okay. <laughs> don't worry about me. So that was, oh, that was like David's catchphrase to Ella. He would always tell her, don't worry about me. Mm-hmm. And that was actually a part of me in that character because people would ask me a question, like, what's wrong with you? I'm not doing about it. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I kind of put myself into that character. So like, that's why the writing was so true. Yeah. Like, you know, and then Ella goes, okay, I guess. So she glanced at the nightstand, and she's like, is that it? And he goes, yeah, it has cyanide. And she, she stops him. She's like, I don't want to know. So she hugs David, not wanting to let go, and she says to him, I wish I could take you away from all of this. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she's hugging him really hard, and David, you know, David slowly releases her grip and walks out, you know, and then walks away from her. And she walks down, well, she walks out of the house, and she walks out of the house or anything else. So that was basically his last night. Yeah. You know, supp- supposedly. So I want to fast forward a little bit. Uh, okay. Fast forward. So, but to, but to get the story so far, it's, it has a lot of tension built up in that last chapter. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we're back. Now we're back into the into the into the office where everyone is. You know, where he just realized. Everyone realized now that. You know, he's alive. So. I'm going to kind of fast forward. And then Andy, who's Andy says, you set me up. And David goes, no, you set yourself up. And Andy said, I thought you were dead. So David looks at him and goes, and what gave you the right to marry her? I mean, you've been screwing her for over a fucking year anyway. And Beth hmm. was like, I, Beth says, I knew you were a fucking tramp. I knew there was a reason I didn't like you, much less trust you. And David turns around and looks at her and goes, well, I guess that's look." He's like, well, I guess that's because looking at her was like looking at yourself in the mirror, wasn't it? Hmm. So Andy says, so what, now Andy all of a sudden starts getting brave. He's like, so what now, Dave? This is a, this is, this is a big fucking setup. 
And he starts walking towards David. He's like, you went through this whole fucking charade to find out about your ex and Stephanie? So now David kind of like, you know, in the sense here, David staggered his stance. He balled his fist. His eyes never moved off Andy. You can almost hear the gears turning in his head as he sized up his opponent. Andy was a lamb unwittingly being led to the slaughter. So Andy doesn't realize that he's basically walking into his trap. Mm-hmm. Like David. So Andy says, you want the truth? I'll tell you the truth. And then Steph realizing what Andy was doing and what he was walking into, warns Andy, he's like, Andy, move away from David. She's like, Andy, move away from him. And Andy was like, no, not. She's, Andy's like, Andy looks at David and goes, you're a fucking coward. He says, look at, she says, look at you. He's going to play him dead. And for what, huh? Steph's mine now. She's having my child and there ain't shit you can, and before he finishes that, Dave hits him. Mm. Dave punches Andy and then as Andy's falling, he takes the gun out of his friend's hands and shoots Andy while he's falling. What? So he shot Andy four times as Andy's on the, as Andy's on the ground. Mm-hmm. So Stephanie screamed out as she watched her husband die, help us, help us to stop it. So then Beth comes up, she's like, what the fuck did you just do? And David didn't say anything as he looked at, as, as he took aim at Beth. So now David points the gun at Beth. And he said, um, so David said, put an mm-hmm. end to all this bullshit and lies. Now you can join him. And before, and before he started, he's about to take a shot, his sister said, Davy, 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 don't stop. And David's like, stop what? She's not what? She's not worth it? And Joe said, this isn't right. You can explain away Andy, but killing Beth, David, think, what's it going to prove? And Steph is crying. So she's like, Steph says, David, she's right. Please stop this. I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry I hurt David lost it. I'm sorry. And he's like, I'm, he's like, fuck you, sorry, okay? You never meant to what? To what, Steph? Mm. You didn't mean to, to. You didn't mean to marry Andy. Newsflash, tramp. Your wedding was never fucking real. And she's like, what? You married Andy? And Dave said, I knew all about your fucking plans. I set the whole thing up. You're such a. I said, you, he's like, you're so fucking stupid. So Joan comes up. Joan's like, Dave, please, please put the gun down. David looks at and Pat was like, Pat, his mom's like, David, I didn't raise you to be a killer. Listen to your sister, please. And David said, why don't you sit the, David said, why don't you sit down and shut the hell up? And that's when Pat says, I will not have you disrespecting me. I'm your mother. Mm-hmm. And David, David says, you're a fucking thief, Patricia. Just like your fucking daughter, you're a thief. So Steph and Beth stood motionless, unable to believe what they're hearing. So David goes, and this is where everything, this is where people, I kind of bring the reader into the whole story and they start realizing what everything really was. So David says, you stood by and did nothing as she destroyed her best friend's family. You, you, he's like, she's, he's like um, you turned a blind eye to her deceptions. You covered up her secrets. You did everything in your power to make sure that she got what she wanted, even if it meant convincing her best friend that her child died at birth. Just was like, what's this all about? You want to punish everyone for what? For her? Mm-hmm. And Ella said, and Ella was like, well, what's wrong, Patricia? And Joan said, Dave, listen to me. You don't have to do this. Let's talk this over. Put the gun down. So David gives the gun to Ella, who's his best friend. As, and as he does this, he gives her like a glance. Like, you know what you got to do. As he moves out of, her, out of the line of fire, Ella shoots Joan. So Ella shot his sister. Mm-hmm. So, so Ella shot him three times. And uh, then David takes the gun. David approaches Patricia with Ella by his side. He takes the gun from Ella's hand and stares intently at Patricia. And David kind of like has sarcastic, with sarcastic tone. He's like, so what are we going to do here now, Pat? I mean, or should I call you mom, huh? What is it you used to tell? What is he? What is it you always used to tell me? Behold, I come like a thief in the night. Funny you would use that phrase. I guess it's the I guess it's the one you most identified with. And so Pat goes, David. I don't know what you've been told. You're my son. 
Whatever you've been told, whatever you heard, it's not what it seems. I did what I had to do to protect my family. And David goes, at what cost, Pat? And he starts to cry, because now the stress is, like, is getting too much for him. Mm-hmm. And he says, you took me from my family, and for what? And she goes, you are my son, my son. He's like, you never, he said, you never wanted me. I meant nothing to you. And she's like, how can you say that? David, I love you, I gave you a better life. And he yells, he looks at her, he starts yelling, you fed me lies. Everything, everything I've ever knew was a goddamn lie. I don't know what to believe anymore. I just want these voices in my head to stop. I just want to feel like I mean something to someone. Just tries to get up and he pushes her back down. She says, you mean the world to me. No one can take that away from you. And he's like, just tell the truth, mom. Why? Why did you take me away from my family? And she's like, I didn't take you away, son. They gave you to me. So Ella sat, Ella and I was in the background. So Ella sat wide eyed as she listened to Patricia and suddenly, and suddenly remembered the envelope. She took it out of her bag and opened it. In disbelief, she read the two, and the two pieces of paper in her hand. A wave of emotions rushed over Ella, con- Ella, confusion, rage, sorrow. Ella finally realized what David's master plan involved. She knew David planned for every possible scenario as he was enacting his greatest revenge on those he held responsible for a lifetime of lies. So David's back, now it's back to David. And David said, this ends today, Mom. It, it all ends today. The lies, the games, the deception, everything. It ends today. I'm tired of being the outcast. Pat goes, honey, you were never an outcast to me. You're right, it all ends today. No more lies and no more deception. Let's start over, son. Let's start over. So David, looking around the room, looking around the room and in his mind, accepting his fate, he says, I love you, mom. He kisses her on the cheek and then stands up, looks her in the eye and says, burn in hell, Patricia, and fires the gun at her, mm. ending her life. Then he turns to Ella. He says, he says, you need to get out of here. And Ella, Ella looks at David, realizing what he's going to do again. She's like, she says, come with me, David, please, don't do this to me again. And he says, Ella, go, start your life over, don't worry about me. So he keeps going back to that phrase to kind of let her know he's going to be okay. Yeah. So Ella tosses the paper on the floor as she exits the room. <sighs> David, David picks up the, the papers and glances over it. And this is what the paper said. Official record of a live birth, town of Morgan Springs, notification of birth, Mother Ellen Mitchell, child number one. David Mitchell, child number two. Ella Mitchell. So David and Ella were twins. That's why they were so close. Mm-hmm. And then, so then I ended. I ended that story with a, with a, with, a, with like a news report, which is like you could tell, like there's a news report outside. So it says uh, the news reporter talking during a live broadcast. The quiet town of Morgan Springs has been shaken to its foundation with the death of seven of its residents. So it's just close to the investigation say it appears to be a murder-suicide. Murder and that's how, that's how I ended that story. Yeah. So that's how that story ended. But the whole thing is that's part of the series. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the Checkmate series. So there was that one, there's the interview, Witness to a, Witness to the Defense, and Behind the Shield. All three of those books tie, tie into this first book. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And then it all relates back to how you were feeling. Well, no. Once I once I wrote the first one, the story the story after that was just like, okay, now I have a, now I can just take because it kind of like initially the story is me getting all my emotions on paper, but then once I started getting it out, it went from me being like depressed and everything else to me living this character's life. So it's like when you start writing a story and you put and you put your life into the characters, the story starts to write itself because now after a while you start your character takes the world over. 
and the world you created now has its own life. You have a character, you have, you know, you have locations that you could, you could put yourself in, and the story basically took over from there. So I was writing it like a soap opera, where it was like all, every chapter was a cliffhanger. It ended on a cliffhanger. It was like, I gotta turn the page and get to, you know, because like you want to see what's gonna happen next. Yeah. And when I, when I put that out on Facebook, it, I mean, it took off. And people like were like, yo, when's the next one? I was getting people hitting me up. Yo, when's the next one coming out? What's the next chapter coming out? I'm gonna read this. So it was my way of kind of like, okay, if my friends like it, then I'm good. So it was never about the money. It was like, this is something my friends appreciate. Yeah. And it was some, and it just took off from there. And that's how my book got discovered. I moved and then someone took one of my books and submitted it to a publisher. And they contacted me and like, hey, do you have another book? You want to check it out? I, and that's when I sent them from the ashes. And then five hours later, I had like three contracts. And I was like, all right, cool, so. Wow. <laughs> and that's, how I, that's how I became a published author. <laughs> That is definitely um some, some story. <laughs> yeah, but um, even though there's a lot to take from what you said, um, what I'm really, the main things I'm taking from is everyone needs to find something like their thing, right? Yep. And sometimes you may find it organically. Is something you adapt to, something you see, or, or sometimes it could be something someone just puts in your mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you're like, you know what? I never thought about that. Like little kids, like little boys, you know, they may get into sports because their father was into sports. Um, little girls may get into cooking because their mother was a cook. Well, of course, she cooked every day, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Someone like me, um, no one in my family did music, but I always gravitated to music. You know, writing from stories to poems to songs. So we all start a different way. And with you, just, you know, your sister noticed something within you and she had to bring that out of you. You know, yeah, and look at you I now, so. years later, with all these books. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I surpassed my mother. And my mother put out two books in, I think, three years. I did six books in 18 months. Wow. Yeah, and it was just like, once I started writing, I just, stories would just start, I would just start putting out stories. One of the books that I'm putting out is called um, Off the Radar, and that story came to me as I was throwing out, gar I was living in Boston at the time, and I just happened, I was throwing out garbage, it was like a fall evening. It was nice and cool, I had to look up, and I saw this plane flying overhead, and I was like, where did that plane just crash? Like, you know, it just started floating, like it just Yeah, because that's something people think. <laughs> But like I cleared the whole story where it fell in the town and they had to close the town off. Mm -hmm. And I started writing it, but and like I have a thing where when I'm writing a story, I don't watch television because I don't want to have to have like the crossbreed where I'm starting to get their ideas and put it into oh the book. Oh my god, I totally but get I, that. But yeah, but I had to stop that book because the TV show came out the dome and my and and my fiance at the time was like, yeah, you know, your story sounds a lot like that. But I was writing that story before that. I was writing that story before that that show came out, so I stopped. The book was the book was almost done, ready to go out, and my publicist was like, "Oh, are you, are you done with it?" And I said, "I'm not putting this book out." Mm -hmm. so the, um, he, she, and she was like, "Why? Your book is good." I said, "Yeah, but it's too it, it rings too familiar to, to a TV show." Another book I put out, um, I have I, went, I had to wait to put out was The Nation. That book was written. That book was written in 2013. I didn't put that book out until 2017 or something mm -hmm. like that. Or 16 because 
Um, at the time, one of the chapters, a detective gets killed in his car. And it just so happened that two cops, one of the cops that I knew, got assassinated in his car in Brooklyn. And in the same exact way. Yeah. In the same exact way. And it was just too eerie. And I, out of respect, I, and I knew the guy because he was a, he was a, before he became a cop, he was a, he was a school safety officer in my, in my son's daughter, in my son's daughter's school. So it's just like, you know, it, 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 it messed with me. So I was like, I had to put that book away. And then like, it took like a while to get that book out. So it was like, I waited until my kids were no longer in that school mm-hmm. to release the book. Yeah. So yeah. That's why sometimes being creative is a, is a, it's like it's scary because you start getting all these ideas and then shit starts coming through. You start to be like, am I writing this thing? Is really you know? No, um, I I totally get it because um, it just happened recently. I was interviewing an artist, and you know we do music reviews, and one of the uh-huh. DJs told her, your song reminds him of another song, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> It even had the same title, but the person didn't even recognize the song that he stated. And then I'm just like, how do you have the same cadence or similar cadence and title, but you don't even know the song or, you know what I mean? But then I told him, being from an artist's perspective and what I've learned from other artists, I think what she did was went on YouTube. Oh, and and then... And then subconsciously crafted her song the same way. No, because sometimes I've noticed, because I don't buy beats off YouTube at all, right? I get them mm-hmm. from producers and buy um, exclusive, call it a day. I ain't got no time for me having stuff that other people already have or listen to. I need exclusive. Okay. <laughs> but what I learned from other artists is sometimes producers would, or beat makers, whatever you want to call them, they will put out a beat and tell you, the style of it and one of the ways of telling the style is telling you the name of another song that is similar you know like let's just say what beyonce's song me myself and i right it was like a slow Uh mellow song so if a producer made a beat similar to that and you may like that beat it'll be called beyonce me myself and i style beat gotcha right so i think when the person when she's seen it it didn't have the artist's name but it had the name of their song style beat which means she's like well they call the beat this let me call the song this and let me write not realizing you may not have not known the name of that person's song but i'm sure you heard it because it was so popular that it was in your brain while you were writing to a beat that's similar to the song you already knew does that make sense <laughs> gotcha so it's just like when I'm writing stuff, like I don't want to listen to other songs and stuff because I don't want it to jump into what I'm doing. Before this writer was like, can you check out my writing? And I told you, and I told you I was mad because the story he had me read to get my opinion was the s- same style of story I was writing for a magazine article. To the point it messed me up. And I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> and I didn't want it in my head while I'm writing this piece. But it was so similar. So I'm like, I wonder how my story would have been if I never heard his. Because I had to make sure it sounded nothing like it. You know, so sometimes you have to tune out. But even if you do something and it's similar to something that's already out there, I wouldn't pull back. You know, it is what it is. Because... 
Even though it could be a show on TV, that does not mean that everyone knows that show. That does not mean that everyone knows the plot. You know what I'm saying? Because your readers can be everyone who's never even heard of the show. Yeah. And missing out. You see what I'm saying? So I understand why you pulled back, but looking at it from a different perspective, you still should push forward. Oh no, the books. I mean, a lot. I have. A, I have about ten to fifteen books that are already completed. I know. I'm just, I just haven't put them out because either, um, you know, like I, I will. I will literally rewrite a book four different times if I re- if I read it over and I don't like the way the story, the the flow of the story was different for me, or I would edit a chapter and then I'd have to literally go back and redo the backstory. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, um, from the ashes has a backstory that I call Salem Hills. Mm-hmm. That's already been done. That that was supposed to be um, a series in and of itself. That was going to go, you know, delve into the backstory of of the main character, which mm-hmm. was the ghost or, or the entity that was doing what it was doing. And I went back and I did all the research and everything else. So I would I, I would literally research realistic settings mm-hmm. or t- or time or or time errors and like okay, fine, I could base the story in this era. Then for me, I would research locations to make sure that I you know that if the readers are reading it that they're from there, they're like, okay, I know this place. And they, you know, and so it's just a matter of understanding how the research aspect goes in the books. Yeah. For example, um, when I put out um, The Lady on the Ledge, that story came to me when I was actually in Rhode Island, in mm-hmm. Newport, and I was walking along the fiance at the time and we happened to stop off at this place and it, it's a beautiful location to go walk around if anyone wants to take a look over there it's really worth going over but there's all these mansions like the rockefeller mansions over there the kennedy mansions everything else and i started just putting this story in my head of what would be you know this world and so i started doing it and then my fiance did a little bit of research into the history mm-hmm. of newport and i just took the research she did and i put it into the story and i just crafted the entire world and then i just from there it took off like yeah. I, I was able to take that story and just craft an entire series around it. So now that story has its own series. So that's why I try to write books that can either stand alone independently mm-hmm. or can be a part of a series. So that's how I started. I try to write a story and then let it take over from there. Yeah. That's kind of dope. So, um... I try. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not trying. You're doing... You know what I'm saying? So I'm kind of curious. I have a few questions, right? Okay. Okay. So you're over here writing, because we're down to less than 10 minutes, right? Okay. (laughs) You're writing these books, right? And every author, average author, no, it takes time to write these books. So on average, how much time does it take you to write these books? And how do you have time to write the books and then reread the books and then re-edit it and rewrite it? Like, how long is that process? It depends on the storyline. Like, um, the interview took me a week, like three weeks to write. Literally, it took me three weeks to write it. And then, but then, from, uh, from the ashes, it took me all of like, I think, eight, eight to nine days. It depends. Like, for me to write a book, I, I can write a book in literally a day and a half, depending mm-hmm. on if I want the book to be multiple books or if it's just one great big book. I can write it in between a week to three and a half weeks. It's mm-hmm. when I re-edit it. Like I'll give it to um, my I'll give it to my publicist or my um, director of programming, and she'll read it over and say, "Okay, there's a few errors here. There's something that didn't vibe out." I'll go back, I'll reread it, and I'll change the book completely. She hates that though, because I'll I'll give her a copy, 
And she's like, is this the copy that's going to be out? It's going to be printed? No, it's not. Of course not. You know you're not going to get the real copy. I'm just giving you the, the copy to read. And I'm going <laughs> to put out this. And she hates it because when she gets the final copy, she's like, this isn't the copy you gave me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But I think the time frame between writing a story and putting it out, uh, it used to take me like two or three months. Now, if I really push, I can get a book completed, edited, uh, redrafted, re-edited, and put out in about... 25 days if I really push for it. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah. I, 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 but I write multiple stories at the same time. So as I'm working on Salem, on Salem Hills, I'm also working on motion. I'm also, at the same time, I'm working on um, rewriting uh, Silver Lake. I'm working on editing, like, eight different stories because some books are literally going to be reprinted as third or fourth editions. So they'll come back to me and say, okay, we're going to put this back out. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, and I'll re-edit it. And, they'll, and of course, they hate that, too. Like, why do you keep changing it? I'm like, well, there's a grammatical error here, or I got to change this, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what? When you put it like that, that does make sense because I know that if I have nothing to do, right? <clears throat> Literally nothing to do. <laughs> and I sit down. I can read a book within a day or so. You know? And then if you're like a writer writer, if I could read it like that, most likely I can write it like that. You know, it's all about zoning out and just writing your thoughts, what's going on. Just like people write songs. They can constantly write so many songs because it's already there. It's within them. So, you know, yeah, so I guess that, that does make sense, you know, but um, like I said, I am definitely a fan and you motivate me to even push harder when it comes to my writing, you know, Thank you very much. I appreciate that. it actually makes me want to block off time. How? I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I think we did some of that thing that we collabed on, the rough draft that I gave you that I think you said did well. So I'm actually glad that did well, you know, did well also. So. Oh, the great collaboration. When I had nothing to do with it, I was just your muse. <laughs> <laughs> you yes. You the outline of the story and I just wrote, I wrote down what, what yes. came to mind. So. Those numbers was pretty well, so I appreciate that. <laughs> You know, and that's what I mean. I'm like, I, I love, I can't wait to go back to just writing because I love to do it. Not because I have to, because, you know, I write for like magazines and stuff. You know, the, the just the release of my thoughts. But I think I'd be so focused on um, grammar because sometimes I write the way I speak. <laughs> but that's the, that's the best kind of writing, though. Is, I mean, nowadays, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an audience for every, type of, every style of, of of um, writing, you know, you have the the hood novels, and so it's. I think now with a lot of people being more open and not being so stuck on being grammar Nazis, that they 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 look for for more realistic um, conversation and content. I, I'm, by nature, I'm naturally a, a, a grammar Nazi, but I try to, you know, I try to incorporate a lot of the you know natural tones and and cadences in, in my stories. That's why when you read the when you read the blast. For um, for Silver Lake, you realize that the dialogue rang true mm-hmm. because I gave the boyfriend that that really straight direct. What the, you know? What the fuck? Put the phone down. Call nine one one. But another thing that I do too that a lot of people realize and they, and they appreciate, mm-hmm. I never give my characters a race. 
mm-hmm. or an age to a certain degree. It's like you're going to make these people into who you want to make them into, and then you're going to just build a story around them. So that's why I kind of I tend not to be stuck on if it's a black couple, a white couple. It's like, no, you, you know, it is what it is. Unless I definitely put down in certain stories what, the, what it is because it's, it's, it's germane to the whole story. But other than that, I leave it am- ambiguous. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense because, um, like I say, when I'm reading your stories, the movies in my head, and they don't have a race, <laughs> they don't have an age, and the more I read, I still be trying to put it together, so it's kind of like a blur. Like, a lot of the people in my head are, like, beige. <laughs> you know? Because you don't know if they black, white, mid, like, beige characters. <laughs> You know, but you can make them green as long as you're able to flip it into the world that you created in your mind when you read my book. Absolutely, I'm all for it. Absolutely, and you're right. There, I think that's very smart and it's very genius because it's kind of like you're a part of the story because you can pinpoint how they look. Because I know a lot of urban books don't want to get into it too much. Um, Some of the urban books I used to read. I remember they used to talk about the milk chocolate skin and almond eyes, and you know yeah. you can tell it was a yeah, black I mean, person. I, I, I couldn't. It's, to me, it's too much. <laughs> it's too much. Like, you know what? I, it's almost like you lock yourself into that stereotypical frame, and yeah. your characters now are one dimension. There's no, there's no dimension to your characters. I just, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to knock any author for their style, but for me personally, I refuse to give my characters a specific racial quality it's like you read the character because at the end of the day when you're reading it i want you to be able to put yourself in that person's skin and see what they're seeing feel what feeling that's and that's what i did with um with silver lake when you read it you felt that fear you got you felt the fear the boyfriend was feeling you felt the same like confusion the girlfriend felt when she climbed into when she crossed the fence you're like what is this dumbass doing <laughs> that's what I, I want people to feel. I don't want you to feel a person's color or, you know, or put yourself in the, I want you to feel it as if you were there and you're, now every time you walk past the lake, I want someone to be like, nah, I'm not going past the lake thanks to this dude and his scary ass fucking right. So, but here's the I'm awkward part of that, though. Good. The awkward part of that is, um, I live on a lake. Well, not yeah, on the lake, like it's literally when you look outside my window, there's a lake, like <laughs> literally. And it's interesting because it's this little thing in the middle of the lake, and I'd be like, it looks like it's like a duck that's stuck. <laughs> but it's just I don't know some type of water thing, but it's kind of funny, and I'm just like, oh god, the duck is stuck. But um. <laughs> I'm not even worried about that. And for the fact that you said it, like, I'm still not going to be freaked out, but I may be a little bit. I don't know. But I'm not going to overthink it because I get scared yeah. very... Wait till, wait, till get, wait till you get the book. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be sending me hate mail like I hate you. I <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. But speaking of books, since we're down to the last minute, definitely let the people know where they can find all your masterpieces. Um, for now, right now, they're, all, they're available on Amazon. A couple of them, a couple of them are still available on... Um, I don't in, in like Barnes and Nobles, but you can get most of them on Amazon because I find an exclusive deal with them. So uh, Amazon has exclusive rights for most of the books right now. So um, some of the titles are Lady in the Ledge, Lady in the Ledge, uh, Aired in Empire. Then there's Lady in the Ledge Legacies coming out. You have New York Undercover uh, coming out soon. will be New York Undercover Collateral Damage. There's also the Checkmate series, which includes the interview behind the shield and Witness for a Defense. 
There's From the Ashes, which has been a hugely successful book for me. Uh, you can check that out. You could also uh, hit me up at my email. Uh, or you can go online on Wix.com uh, and find my webpage there. So there's a million pages. Also, I think you're going to put all the information on the, um, the description on the, on, the, on the show. So, Absolutely. yeah. Well, you guys heard it here from author Daryl Bishop and Sugar T Quest. You just tune into another T Quest show, and you know how to follow me on all social media platforms at T Quest GLM and download that T Quest mobile app in your Google Play Store and your App Store. Once you download it, you will see this show and get all of his information over and out.